1: Welcome to the Rock Podcast. Here in session five of our Answers in Genesis conference, Dr. Mitchell brings a message entitled Jurassic Prank A Dinosaur Tale. All right. Well, Dr. Tommy, I could say personally as you come and we welcome you back to the platform. We've been equipped and I have uh, been refreshed. Uh, What a ministry! This ministry has been to pastors. They come in and they support and in their area of expertise and gifting to come alongside a, a pastor. You know, pastors mostly are evangelist teachers, you know, and uh, to, to have a guy like this who's got a calling specific uh, passion to equip the church and with that kind of uh, knowledge and able, ability to defend the faith. It's, it's awesome. And plus, I, I, I've got the weekend off. It's awesome. Even, you know? even better. And, no, wait until you're done, then I bring the second sermon, right? Okay, well, yeah, and, knock, knock yourself out. All right, okay. Come on, Dr. <laughs> you, Tommy. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. He said that about five years ago, I was going to a, a church in Indiana, and this was back really before GPS was that common. And we used to go out with these MapQuest, you know, computer printouts. And we had like this eight page. And they were never right. If you got to the right state, you were lucky. But the thing is, my wife was traveling. She was my navigator, which, you know, there's a picture for you. You know, two doctors trying to find their way around with a MapQuest map. So we got to this place. And we kept driving around in the middle of this town, driving around in the middle of this town, driving around in the middle of this town. And we were actually driving around the church. For 45 minutes. It was in the middle of this big square we were making. So finally I took a different road and we found ourselves at the church and pulled up. And the pastor came running and I said, oh, Dr. Tom, we're glad you're here. We're just so excited. We thought something had happened to you. And I thought, well, that's really gracious. They've been waiting. And I, was, I felt bad because I made him wait because we were, we were lost. And so we were getting the resources in the, in the church and we we're setting up the AV. And finally he said, just, he said I was just so worried. He said, I was, I, just, I was just really worried. And I said, I really appreciate you being so concerned. And his wife said, Phil, tell him why you were worried. He said, I didn't have a sermon prepared this weekend. <clears throat> I mean, I was feeling the love right up to that point, okay? Yeah, but I said, okay, well, just, can, can you get this knife out? It kinda, so, so I was like, well, brother, I'm really glad I showed up and didn't die, you know? <laughs> this session, we're going to talk about dinosaurs. It's one of my most favorite topics because I get probably more questions about dinosaurs than any other single thing. And I'll tell you something that comes up a lot, and I'm still trying to kind of wrap my mind around this, not infrequently, you know, a parent or a family will come up to me and the mom or dad will start talking to me about dinosaurs, and i will say, well, Tommy, I just... You know, I've always been confused about dinosaurs. I've never really had answers about dinosaurs, and I really didn't know how to answer my kids' questions correctly. I just don't really feel I'm scientific. So I just told my kids dinosaurs weren't real. And I kind of would go, okay... And I heard that, and finally, about the ninth time I heard, I I sort of was overcome by a transport of emotion a little bit, and I just said, excuse me, I don't mean to be rude, but why would you tell your kids that dinosaurs aren't real? Well, I just don't want to give an answer that's going to play into the world's hands, and I don't want to give the wrong answer, and I'm really just not sure. So I just thought it was just easier to tell my kids that dinosaurs weren't real. Now, if you've told your kids that dinosaurs weren't real, I've got a piece of advice for you. Never, ever. Under any circumstances, bring them to the Creation Museum. <laughs> because you're going to have some splaining to do. we got dinosaurs everywhere. They're amazing creatures, and we want to equip you and your children to have answers. Now, if we're going to have a session about dinosaurs, I think the first thing we all need to do is kind of get in a dinosaur mood. right? I mean, we all need to sort of be thinking about be focused on dinosaurs. So in order to get you into a dinosaur mood, I'm going to introduce you to an old friend. Thank <laughs> you. I hate being right all the time. Which dinosaur was that? T-rex. T-Rex. Now when I ask that question, you know who answers it? The kids. The adults don't have a clue. Big ugly lizard. What do I know about dinosaurs? Question, where do our kids learn about dinosaurs? Movies, school, books, TVs, video games, everywhere. How many people saw the movie Jurassic Park? Can you turn these lights down just a second for me? I'm kind of blinded here. Can, can this, I need these lights down that are in my eyes. Okay, now you sinners, raise your hand. <laughs> Leave them, keep them up. I'll tell you when to put them down. What a nest of sinners I've fallen into. <laughs> keep them up, you cowards. You saw that. Keep them up. I told you. You saw that horrible. I saw you put them put, put back up. You saw that horrible evolution. What kind of people are you watching a movie like that? I'm, you can put them down now. I'm absolutely shocked. I'm horrified. I saw it 15 times. But I didn't enjoy it. I did it for educational purposes only. I did it for you. You're welcome. Folks, I don't care what anybody says, that's one of the coolest movies ever. When the T-Rex eats the lawyer in the outhouse, I mean, that's entertainment. I mean, I can just be driving to the grocery store, and I think about that scene, and I just start laughing. That's one of the coolest movies ever. But there are some things in that movie that you are know, not quite so cool. You know, the problem is, when we think about dinosaurs, you know where our thinking needs to begin? Here, Our thinking in every area needs to start with the Word of God. About theology, about morality, about relationships, absolutely. About dinosaurs, you bet. Now, we're going to start with a simple question, a simple issue. And it really comes down (laughs) in so many cases to this, how do we really know things? Well, the question is, how can you know anything about an extinct ecosystem?
0: Dinosaurs and man, two species separated by Sixty-five million years of evolution have just been
1: suddenly thrown back into the mix together. How can we possibly have the slightest idea of what to expect? Well, let's take the second issue first. Dinosaurs and man, two species been separated by 65 million years of evolution, have just been thrown back together. How can we know what to expect? That's sort of kind of the point of the movie, right? What happens if people and dinosaurs are together? But that's not the important issue. The important issue is the first one. How can we know anything? about an extinct ecosystem? I mean, can we directly, scientifically test the past? No, the past is what? The past is gone. We can make assumptions about the past. We have things we can look at in the present, but then we make assumptions about the past. How do I know about the past? Well, guess what? I've got a history book. It comes from the perfect historian, the one who's always been there who wouldn't tell me a lie. I can use that history book to interpret the things I see because what we see in God's world really does agree with what we read in God's Word. But you know what the world says? The world says, we know better. We know how dinosaurs came to be. This is the dinosaur family tree. <clears throat> and I've seen charts and diagrams like this you know, since I was in kindergarten. And we know this is a very scientific chart. You know how we know that? It's got scientific words on it. <laughs> Triassic, Jurassic, Cretaceous. If you've got really good eyes on the far left, you'll see the millions of years. So if it's got the millions of years and scientific words on it, it must be a scientific chart. So what this chart's trying to tell us is that like 280 million years ago or so, we've got this sort of ancestral pre-dinosaur, and it's merely existing along, and all of a sudden, poof, it has a mutated offspring. So you get this kind of creature pops off. And then, poof, another one. And then another one. And about the time it gets to that first line, it must have had like a really bad day because, poof, it just mutated into everything. And then later you get this branch, it goes off to the right. So you start off with one creature, then you end up with the Ornithischian dinosaurs, the Ceritian dinosaurs, the birds, the Pterosaurs, the You get all these different varieties of creatures. You start with one creature, that's how all these creatures came to be. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that the lines in this illustration, in this diagram, come in two different colors. You've got the yellow, the highlighted portion of the chart, then you've got the grayed out portion. Can anybody tell me what the 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 highlighted part to these lines, what, what that represents? fossils. Those are the things we have fossils of. we got fossils of that creature and that creature and that creature and that creature and that creature. And that creature, and that creature. we got fossils of all those creatures. Can anybody tell me what the, gray, the, the grayed out portion of the heart, the grayed outlines, what does that represent? It is not a guess. It is most decidedly not a guess. It's an educated guess. <laughs> I've got six letters after my name. I do not make guesses. I make educated guesses. (laughs) You know what an educated guess is? It's a guess. But see, it sounds, you know, those of us in the academic intellectual community, we don't want you to think we make guesses. So you know what? We've got code words for things like that. The extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of paleontology. The evolutionary trees that adorn our textbooks have data only at the tips and nodes of their branches. The rest is inference. However reasonable, it is not the evidence of fossils. You might know what inference means? It means guess. But see, it sounds really scientific, right? <clears throat> so let's go back to our chart and see what we can deduce from our chart. Let's start with the creature on the far right. This creature on the far right, when it reproduced, were its offspring the same kind of creature or different kind of creature? Same. Huh, who'd you guess? Um, the one fifth from the right. When it reproduced, were its offspring the same kind of creature or different kind of creature? Hmm. Huh. What about the one third from the left? When it reproduced, were its offspring the same kind of creature or different kind of creature? Same. So what we've got here is a chart that ha- that contains fossil evidence of fully formed creatures that reproduced after his or after their kind. I know I read that somewhere. Where would I read that? How about in the Word of God? When dinosaurs reproduce, they have dinosaurs. Like we talked about yesterday, when dogs reproduce, they have. When cows reproduce, they have. When cats reproduce, they unfortunately have cats. See, this is not exactly rocket science. On the first day, God created earth, space, time, and light. On the second day, the atmosphere, the firmament, the expanse. On the third day, the dry land and plants. On the fourth day, sun, moon, and stars. On the fifth day, the flying and sea creatures. On the sixth day, land, animals, and man. Six ordinary 24-hour days. And on that basis, we have sound, biblical, scientific answers about these amazing creatures we call dinosaurs. And if there's one thing that the world's particularly upset at us at Answers in Genesis about, it's about dinosaurs. Because when we opened the Creation Museum, I mean, we found out that, yeah, I found out I wasn't really a doctor, and Dr. Selling wasn't really a geologist, and Dr. Purdom wasn't really a geneticist, and we had degrees from the internet, and we didn't know what we were talking about, and we were just a bunch of buffoons. But the thing we heard a lot, and we hear to this day, is this. You know what those what those people at answer Genesis are doing? They're playing fast and loose with the truth. They're not being, they're, they're not being straight and scientific about dinosaurs. They really don't understand dinosaurs. You know what they're doing? They're using dinosaurs to indoctrinate children. That's what those people at that museum are doing. They're using dinosaurs to indoctrinate children. You know what our response to that is? Amen. That's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> the world uses dinosaurs to convince our kids they're nothing but rearrange pond scum. We use dinosaurs to call our children back to the authority of the Word of God. We call dinosaurs missionary lizards. And I'm going to tell y'all, because I know y'all are not going to rat me out. You know, y'all are going to, sh- you know, this is top secret stuff. We really do have a sneaky, underhanded, almost sinister way of indoctrinating kids. We do. You know, it's really underhanded. You know what we do? We answer their questions. <laughs> Boy, the world hates it when we do that. But see, those answers start here. Well, if we're going to talk about dinosaurs in the Bible, here's a great place to start, too. I mean, why don't we find the word dinosaur in the Bible? Now, I don't know how many times I've read through my Bible, I've yet to find the word dinosaur in the Bible. Now, should that surprise us? No. See, the word dinosaur didn't exist until 1841. It was coined or invented, if you will, by a British scientist, Sir Richard Owen. He was one of the most famous scientists of his day in England, and he was one of the first people to systematically study the fossils of dinosaurs. You know, as the great ships of England would bring these specimens back from all over the world, he would sort of categorize them and try to figure out what, you know, what, what, which ones went in. And he was totally fascinated by what he was seeing, as any of us would have been. And he's the person that invented the word dinosaur. It means terrible lizard. So if you look in the 1828 dictionary, you find the words computer, locomotive, and rocket. You do not find the word dinosaur in the 1828 dictionary. Why is that? Because 1841 hadn't happened yet, right? The most commonly used English translation of the Bible is the King James. It was completed in 1611. That's 230 years before the word dinosaur even existed. But what about the so-called modern English translations, which began in the 1880, 1885 range? Read through those texts. You don't find the word dinosaur there either. Now, the question is, should you? Job 40:15 Behold now behemoth which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins. His force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is chief of the ways of God. Now, that's obviously a puppy dog, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean is, that, is that like kitty cat? I mean, is that a big creature or a little creature? That's a, I mean, you got a tail like a cedar. You're chief of the ways of God. You must be some impressive creature. you got to be the man. you got to have it going on. But, you know, there are times I really wonder if people are truly paying attention when they read through God's Word. Because the people who wrote the study notes for the NIV Study Bible said the creature we just read about was possibly the hippopotamus or the elephant. Anybody here been to the zoo lately? <clears throat> you ever seen the backside of an elephant? Does that look like a cedar to you? I mean, that's a right, sorry, cedar, okay? And as we say back home, that ain't no cedar neither. Well, does a hippopotamus have a tail like a cedar? Uh, that ain't no cedar, no way, no how. I mean, this doesn't work. Or maybe they just got their ends mixed up. You know what I'm about? Well, i tell you one thing you never, ever want to do. You never, ever want to go to the zoo with anybody that works at Answers in Genesis. You know why? Everybody else is taking pictures of the fronts of the elephants. We're taking pictures of the back. And we wonder why nobody talks to us. But anyway, what about something like that? Or maybe something like that. Now, can I make the following statement? Behemoth was a dinosaur. Can I make that direct statement, behemoth was a dinosaur? No, I can't. What I can say is this. There is no creature in our present understanding that fits that description better than a sauropod dinosaur. What are they doing? They're digging up dinosaur fossils. And again, if you've told your kids dinosaurs weren't real, you got a huge problem. You know what your problem's called? It's called fossils. We got fossils of lots of kinds of dinosaurs, and I hope we find lots more. But at the same time, you know, it was like we talked about last night, how did this fish become a fossil? It got buried very rapidly. Again, save from you know, the other sediment that occurred at the time of the flood. But what we also need to do is step back and try to understand what we really can learn from fossils. Question. When you dig up a fossil, have you dug up the past or the present? Okay, I know it's Monday. Let's do it this way. How many people say you've dug up the present? Hands down. How many people say you've dug up the past? Hands down. How many people didn't vote? Hands down. How many people in this room exist in the present? Hey, that's about half. For Monday night, that's not bad. In Mississippi, two weeks ago, it was 5% tops. They didn't know if they were there or not, okay? When you dig up a fossil, you've just dug up the present. You cannot dig up the past. The past is what? It's past. Let's just say you're digging a barbecue pit in your backyard. You got the shovel in your hand, when? Now. Dirt's coming out of the hole, when? You see the fossil when? You're holding the fossil when? You've just dug up the present. Okay, for the sake of this discussion, we're going to say you just dug this up. Now, what I want you to tell me is what you know about this. Not what you think, not what you hope, not what you wish, not what you theorize, not what may be, not what could be. I want you to tell me what you know about that. It's dead. Or very, very still, I'll accept either answer. Okay, it's dead. What else do you know? It was a fish. It's a dead fish. You know, that's the extent of what you know. What color was it before it got dead? You don't know. What does fish eat? And fish food is not an acceptable answer, by the way. Fish eat fish, and they have fish with fish This one right here. What did it eat? You don't know. Prove it. That's my point. Prove prove to me what this thing ate. You can't, can you? Now, to be fair, we do have specimens of creatures in the fossil record that have parts of other creature in their tummy. So in certain cases, we do know what a certain part of the diet was. In this case, you don't know. In what way? Because of their manure. Right, that's a different issue. But, I, but, I, but I'm saying this fish, I'm saying this particular fossil. That's my point. But in the, in the case you're talking about, can you match the manure to the, to the creature? Yes. How? Does it come labeled? <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe in tectonic plates? Yes. I wasn't there. I can't tell you specifically, no, sir. We, we were argue that the Himalayas were. Yeah, well, the, at the time of the flood, I don't because I wasn't there. They were rapid, though. Anyway, is this a smart fish or a dumb fish? Well, and some people say it's a dumb fish because it wouldn't be a fossil otherwise. But the thing is, at the time of the flood, even smart creatures would have gotten buried by sediment. Now, that question is of particular importance to people who watch the movie Jurassic Park. Now, if you read reports about how they made the movie Jurassic Park and and, and all the, the, you know, the the, the way they did all the animation of the dinosaurs, it's really fascinating. But what they will tell you more often than not is that the star dinosaur of the movie Jurassic Park was T-Rex. And I really disagree with that. To me, there's another dinosaur in the movie Jurassic Park that's actually much more central to the plot. Can anybody tell me what dinosaur I'm thinking about? The Velociraptor. Velociraptor. Now, how was the raptor portrayed? It was smart. It was cunning. It was a cunning hunter. It hunted in packs. I don't know if you remember that scene, you know, that the big game hunters went out, and the big game hunter went out to try to track it down, and the the raptors distracted, and the other one jumped out of the bush, which was like, it was like almost as cool as where it ate the lawyer. But nonetheless, (laughs) you know, it jumped out. Do fossils hunt in packs? They don't hunt at all. No, fossils do what? They lay there, and you dust them once a month. See, you don't know. Question, where did this fish die? In the ocean. No, you know where it was deposited. You don't know where it died. There are places around the world that we just have acres and acres and acres and acres, just billions and billions and billions of fossils they all get together and commit suicide? I mean, how would that work? (laughs) No, they got trapped in a sediment flow. You know where they were deposited. Hey, do fossils come with labels? Hi, I'm 65 million years old. No. We've got to separate what we know versus what we assume. Which is why when you come to the Creation Museum, and you all are going to come to the Creation Museum at some point, when you first go through the walk through the museum, you don't find yourself in Genesis. When you don't find yourself in the Garden of Eden, you find yourself in the dig site. This is the very first exhibit on our walk through the museum. It's very important to understand this issue. We have a recreation of a dig site, and here we have two scientists. One's a creationist, one's an evolutionist. And on the screens behind this display, they are going to interpret this fossil find for you.
0: fascinated by dinosaurs. Watching movies, collecting models, reading all about them. Dinosaurs were big. They were magnificent. They were awesome. I was taught that dinosaurs once ruled the world but that millions of years ago, they disappeared from the earth. Everything I believed about the age of the earth, the cycles of life and death, the evolution of humankind began dinosaurs. And then I learned that the Bible presented a very different history. Kim here is my colleague, fellow paleontologist. We've been friends since college. Today we study the same fossils, we use the same techniques, but that doesn't mean we agree on what happened here. We do interpret our findings differently. You see, fossils don't come with tags on them, telling us how old they are, where they lived, what they ate, or even how they died. We have to figure that out from the clues that we find. We never have enough clues. So, our starting points usually lead us to different conclusions. Here's how I see it. I think this dinosaur died over 100 million years ago. It dried out in the sun for a long time. Uh, And later, I think this specimen was uh, covered by river sediment, which was caused by a local flood. She's been lying here all this time till we dug her up. Where Kim sees millions of years, I see evidence of a different history. I believe this animal died in a flood, but it wasn't a local flood. It was a massive flood that covered the earth, Noah's flood, when God judged the world. The carcass was buried suddenly, before it could be eaten or decomposed, buried in a layer of sediment that stretches across the entire continent. Since the flood, according to the Bible, was about 4,300 years ago, that's how old I believe this fossil to be. We come to different conclusions because of our different starting points. I start with the Bible. My colleague does not. We all have the same facts. We merely interpret the facts differently because of our different starting points.
1: So you got two scientists examining a fossil. One says it's 100 million years old, the other one says it's 4,300 years old. Are they looking at the same evidence? Sure, they come to totally different conclusions. How can that be? Because this is not a battle of evidence. This is not about finches and fossils and rock layers. It's about how you interpret the finches, the fossils, and the rock layers. You know what determines your conclusion? Your starting point. This is who? T Rex. Look at those teeth. What did T Rex eat? Now, according to the movie, we know at least four things a 10,000 volt fence, a Jeep, an outhouse, and a lawyer. All in all, a very lovable guy. What did T Rex eat? Answer anything it wanted, right? Kill something and eat it, kill something and eat it, kill something and eat it. That's the way we think about dinosaurs, these fearsome creatures that ate Tokyo. I mean, that's sort of, that's sort of our initial, when we think about dinosaurs, that's what we think, these fearsome creatures that just attack and kill everything. In the beginning, when God looked at his creation and said it was very good, what did T-Rex, this fearsome killer, what did he eat in the beginning? Plants. And every beast of the earth and every fowl of the air and everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life. I've given every green herb for meat. And it was so. In the beginning, T Rex ate plants. I mean, how dull is that? He was a plant eater. Look at this vicious killer. That thing would rip your arm completely off, right? Look at the teeth on that thing. Anybody know what that is? That's a panda. Pandas attack and kill what? It's a vicious bamboo killer. What's this? Fruit bats. Look at those teeth. What do fruit bats kill? Fruit. Fruit killer. It's a vicious, mean-spirited fruit killer. It's my mother-in-law. I mean the black (laughs) uackery. Look at the teeth on that bad boy. What does that thing eat? Mostly nuts, fruit, and vegetation. You know when uh, there are lions and tigers in our world today that are strict vegetarian? I've got a, a video on one of my other talks of an alligator eating kumquats. Bears, when they come out of hibernation, you know, teeth and long claws do very nicely eating plants. If you disturb them, they'll be happy to eat you too. So, I mean, it, it's cool. But the thing is, it's not the best example. Over the last couple of years, I've managed to collect a couple of videos of the great white shark. Now, the great white shark has been called nature's perfect killing machine. I'm going to show you a video of nature's perfect killing machine. My crew throws in the bait to begin the test. First, tuna, squid, and kelp. Okay, the three baits are in.
0: We've already seen how hard they hit the tuna in Australia. And if scent is a factor at all, the tuna or squid should go first. took a small bite out of the kelp incredible she's coming back around for a second pass wow it went for the kelp again
1: the shark ignored the tuna and
0: the squid and took the kelp
1: so this is what they're doing they're testing baits for the great white shark so they take a big hook and they put some tuna on it they throw it out in the water They take another hook and they put squid on it. They throw that out in the water. Then they take a third hook and put a big, you know, wad of seaweed, a big ball of kelp, and they throw that out in the water. Then they put that poor idiot in the cage with the camera. (laughs) Okay, folks, I never want to be unemployed enough that I answer the following ad. Wanted moron to jump in water and film the great white shark. I don't want to ever be that unemployed. But nonetheless, they found a the guy, they put him in the cage, and on multiple passes, nature's perfect killing machine ate what? Plant. On multiple, ca- on multiple passes, the great white shark ate plants first. Now, I did have a young man point out to me a couple of months ago that maybe the shark was eating its salad before it ate the diver. Um, I'm not sure because I don't have the rest of the clip. But nonetheless, nature's perfect killing machine ate the plants first. She's a veriforman has been extinct Since the Cretaceous period I mean this thing Is a How huh, this thing Why? Dinosaur. It's a dinosaur. That guy's a rocket scientist, and he's got to figure it out. But but, but, but to, but to be fair, if I get up tomorrow morning and I see something eating the leaves off the tops of the trees, I'm going to get my camera out because I want a picture of that. But this guy, I don't know if you remember the scene in the movie. He's just overcome by a transport of emotion. He just... He, People are seeing dinosaurs. He just can't wrap his mind around this. This is amazing. This is incredible. People are actually seeing dinosaurs. I mean, it's a thought he had never in his wildest imagination entertained. People are seeing dinosaurs. Should he? Should he really be shocked? Do I know what that is? It's called a pictograph. There are places around the world where you find uh, drawings or paintings or carvings. They're called pictographs or petroglyphs, depending on where they're drawn, painted, or carved. you find these in caves or on cliff walls and things. And you see some really amazing things. And there are several Internet websites that are devoted just to, you know, posting images from pictographs and petroglyphs from all over the world. They're really incredible. Sometimes you see things like that. And sometimes you see things like that. What does that look like? It's like a dinosaur. I can think of one creature alive today that sort of kind of looks like that. Anybody? Kangaroo. Kangaroo's as close as I can get. But to be honest, when you see that, you don't think kangaroo, do you? You think what? Kangaroo. You think dinosaur. Now, I know that's kind of hard to see if you're not looking at it directly. So that's, uh, I mean, that's a jackrabbit, right? Uh, is, that, uh, is that a guinea pig? I mean, what does that look like? Like a dinosaur. What does that look like? What does that look like? But you know what the scientists say? Those aren't dinosaurs. The anthropologists and sociologists have lots of explanations for the pictographs and the petroglyphs, and it's amazing these things look like they look like dinosaurs. They can't be dinosaurs. But they often say other things on those same walls and caves are real. But the things that look like dinosaurs, they can't be dinosaurs. They're artwork or their worship images or their imaginary remember other things in these walls and cliffs are, are real but the things that look like dinosaurs aren't you know why because they know dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago so let me ask you a question are the scientists saying that because of the evidence or in spite of it now the question i have for you is how did all these carvings and drawings and paintings get on these in these caves and those cliffs how'd they get there People, either people had to draw them or carve them, or it's the most amazing example of erosion you've ever seen, right? <laughs> so I submit this is just but one of abundant evidence that we have that people and dinosaurs have walked the earth together. And we've got evidence that people and dinosaurs have walked the earth together up until at least the last few hundred years. But the scientists say, no, 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 they died out 65 million years ago. There's abundant evidence to show that's just not true. See, the scientists should be looking at this going, wait a minute, we've got to rethink what we've always taught. We've got to rethink this, because obviously people drew these or carved these, but they continue to insist that dinosaurs died out millions of years before man evolved. Think about that.
0: The the uniform uh, direction changes, just like a flock of birds evading a predator. They're flying this way i want to go now just look how it please I bet you never look at birds the same way again
1: bet you never look at birds the same way again i reckon not that little girl hadn't seen a bird yet now that first dinosaur in that clip was called gallimimus now listen to the dialogue watch how it changes directions just like a flock of birds evading a predator they're flocking this way bet you never look at birds the same way again Dinosaurs went extinct millions of years ago, or did they? No, birds are essentially modern short-tailed dinosaurs. You know what the key thread of the movie Jurassic Park was? Dinosaurs turned to birds. Dinosaurs turned to birds. Dinosaurs turned to birds. That's what they're trying to teach you. Dinosaurs turned to birds. Ah, oh, Tommy, That uh, no, Tommy, I saw the movie a couple of times, and it was really entertaining, and, and but I just didn't get that at all. And I know you work for Answers in Genesis, and you want to make a biblical you know point about things, but I think you're, you're kind of losing a little credibility here because I just didn't get that impression from the movie, and I don't think you need to say things that aren't obvious and aren't true. I just don't think that's true. Tommy, I just didn't get that from the movie. I really don't think you should be saying that. Well, if you had done what I did, and you bought the collector's edition DVD of the movie... <laughs> On the Collector's Edition, there's a documentary about how they made the movie Jurassic Park. And on that documentary, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see this. And, you know, he wanted them portrayed as animals. So we spent a great deal of time, you know,
0: working with the paleontologists, and, um, doing a lot of field work. To help portray scientifically accurate behavior, filmmakers enlisted the help of paleontologist Jack Horner, one of the world's leading dinosaur experts. Horner's research has been instrumental in changing our view of dinosaurs. He contends that birds, not reptiles, represent their closest living link. For Jurassic's design team, maintaining scientific accuracy would mean breaking the reptilian stereotypes associated with
1: dinosaurs. The whole idea is to get people to look at dinosaurs more like birds than as reptiles. And one of the scenes, some of the uh, model makers had made a tongue come out like a lizard or a snake.
0: I came up with this routine for the raptors, where they they were, you know, genetic, you know, mutations to a degree, so I thought, you know, we'll have that, the raptor stick out his tongue and Horner saw the animatics of that and said, you know, just came down on us like a ton of bricks and said, Who stupid idea was that? <laughs> you
1: know, "Mind, sir and he said, You No, they could never do that We know that they didn't do that. So had that been left in the scene All the work into making these things bird-like would have been gone. All the work into making these things bird-like would have been gone. In order to maintain scientific accuracy, we've got to break the reptilian stereotype associated with the dinosaurs. Go back and watch the movie again sometime. I challenge you to do this. Go back and watch the movie and pay attention to the dinosaur sounds. See if they're not distinctly bird-like. Folks, that was not an accident. It was on purpose. But to be fair to Jack Horner, and, and I mean, this is, this is a very prominent idea in paleontology circles. It is by no means consensus. In the last year, I've talked to three secular paleontologists who don't accept that dinosaurs turn to birds. But nonetheless, this is what you're going to hear on Animal Planet, Discovery Channel, National Geographic Channel. But to be fair to the paleontologists, if I was going to pick a kind of creature that was going to turn into a, to a bird, I'd probably pick a dinosaur, wouldn't you? I mean, they're so bird-like to begin with. You know, only a couple of simple changes in a dinosaur, and you've got a bird. Well, first of all, you've got to change the metabolic system because, you know, living reptiles are cold-blooded and living birds are warm-blooded. Now, having said that, there is still this ongoing debate among paleontologists about whether dinosaurs were warm-blooded or cold-blooded, which raises an interesting issue in my own particular life in talking to a lot of secular scientists over the last few years. In the last couple of years I've talked to a secular secular paleontologist who says dinosaurs were warm-blooded and and most paleontologists agree with him. I've talked to another paleontologist who said dinosaurs were cold-blooded and most paleontologists agree with him. (laughs) About two months ago there was an article that came out in in one of the major journals that said dinosaurs may not be warm-blooded or cold-blooded, they may be lukewarm. They may be somewhere in between is basically what, you know, they're not warm-blooded or cold-blooded, they're somewhere in between, so I guess that makes them lukewarm. So I I don't have any idea, but nonetheless, living reptiles are cold-blooded and living birds are warm-blooded, so you've got to change the metabolic system. And you also have to change the respiratory system, because the respiratory system of a reptile and the respiratory system of a bird are distinctly different. So you've got one kind of respiratory system that's going to evolve into another. Now it's a particular issue to evolve a respiratory system So let's just say you're going to go from this kind of respiratory system to this kind of respiratory system and It's going to take 50 steps just to make the math easy It's going to take many more, but we're just going to say it's going to take 50 steps So you're going to go from here to here. You're going to do it in 50 steps Each one of these steps has to do what work, work. <laughs> If step 37 doesn't work, what happens? Yeah. It's a real trick to hold your breath long enough to reproduce It's not going to happen very often and something else has to happen scales have to turn into feathers And this is easy to wrap your mind around. This is a scale, and that's a feather. Those are almost exactly the same, right? I mean, if I changed the labels on my slides, you wouldn't know which one was which. Is that a scale or a feather? Is that a scale or a feather? And you may be asking yourself, man, I wonder how a scale turns into a feather. Well, I'm glad you asked, because in the journal Nature in 2001, they drew us a dagger, an illustration. You start off with a scale. The scale gets fuzzy. Then it grows branches, and the branches get fuzzy. Poof, your Bible's not true. Now, they give you any genetic way that can happen? No, but it's a cute illustration. <laughs> Folks, this didn't happen. But the world persists. The world's just sure this is true. November 1999, I remember when this came out, big article on National Geographic, feathers for T-Rex. We can now say that birds are theropods just as confidently as we can say that humans are mammals. We got the proof. We got a feathered dinosaur. Their words, not ours. They found a feathered dinosaur. We got to prove dinosaurs turned to birds. However, at the time it was published, not everybody agreed with the publication of "Feathers for T-Rex" by Christopher P. Sloan in its November issue. National Geographic has reached an all-time low for engaging in sensationalistic, unsubstantiated tabloid journalism. Not exactly what you call a ringing endorsement. This comes from a gentleman named Storrs Olson, who's the curator of birds at the National Museum of Natural History. He said, you guys didn't even come close to getting this right. None of the structures illustrated in the article that are claimed to be feathers have actually been proven to be feathers. Saying they are is a little more than wishful thinking that has been presented as fact. So even when this came out, not everybody in the evolutionary community bought this idea, bought, bought this particular example. And as it turns out, five months later, in March of 2000, National Geographic was, in fact, introduced to a kind of bird. It's called a crow because they had to ingest one. Anybody know what that's called. That's called a retraction. Oops, we're sorry. Little problem came up as it turned out the fossil we were looking at had been composited. You want to use the word fake? I don't have a problem with that. Now, and to be fair, the paleontologist first saw the fossil, didn't realize the the issue, and when he found his mistake, he said, okay, I'm sorry I made a mistake, but you'll notice their announcement of their mistake was nowhere near as public as their initial pronouncement that they had to prove. Now, so there's a particular province in China that over the last few decades has been very rich in fossil finds, and that's where they're finding most of these feathered dinosaurs, their words, not ours. So when you hear reports about feathered dinosaurs, be very, very careful. Because the ones that we've been able to examine... Now, we have, you know, they have found some dinosaur fossils that have some like filamentous material, you know, like, you know, like collagen fibers and things. But the ones that we've seen that actually have true feathers, that have fossil imprints of actual feathers, those creatures aren't dinosaurs. You know what they are? They're birds. But the second world wants to say this is a dinosaur turning into a bird. The ones we've seen are fully formed birds. And lots of folks in the evolutionary community, particularly Alan Fiducia in North Carolina, when he looks at them, he says, these are birds. It's a bird, he can't make it, it's a bird. So when, when you read about feathered dinosaurs, be very, very careful. The other thing is, this, this, this province where they find a lot of these dinosaur fossils, the people that live there know that scientists pay a lot of money for special, and they, they're particularly on the hunt for feathered dinosaurs. So some of these things have been very expertly faked. And most of them the scientists catch. I, I'm, I'm giving them credit for that. But see, there's sort of this underground industry in, in faking these things, so be very careful when you read these reports. Now, in an evolutionary worldview, when one kind of creature is going to evolve into another, you know, generally, you know, what you'll find is the, if this creature is going to evolve into this creature, this creature is found in the lower layers. And then whatever it evolves into is in the upper layers. That's just because the layers are laid down over time. But in this province in China, you know where they're finding these feathered dinosaurs? You know what they're finding in the layers below? Birds. For one thing, birds are found earlier in the fossil record than the dinosaurs are supposed to have descended from. And that's a pretty serious problem, I think. Pretty much blows that idea. Folks, dinosaurs did not turn into birds. How do you know that? Absolutely. God's Word says birds were created on day five of Creation Week. Dinosaurs were created on day six. Birds predate dinosaurs by one day. Who says? God does. I read your book. Oh, well,
0: it's, it's great. Do you really think that dinosaurs turn into birds? And that's where
1: they all went? Well, a few species may have evolved along those lines.
0: <laughs> they sure don't look like birds to me. I heard that there was this uh, meteor um, hit the earth someplace down in Mexico and made this big crater. Listen, uh, Tim. Tim, which car were you planning on? About this thing in omni about this um meteor making all this heat and it made a bunch of diamond dust and that changed the weather and they died because of the weather and then my teacher told me about this other book by a guy named backer and he
1: there was a time that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie but you know the longer i've been in ministry frankly the less humor i find in that you know why that's where our kids are folks they are captivated, they're fascinated by dinosaurs. They watch every TV show about dinosaurs. They watch every documentary, they watch every movie, they read every book, they know every dinosaur by sight. They can pronounce every name, they can pronounce them correctly, they can spell them correctly. Our kids are captivated, they're fascinated by dinosaurs. You know where they're getting their answers? From the world. We are not giving them sound, biblical, scientific answers about these amazing creatures called dinosaurs. And where we fall short, where we don't equip our kids, the world is out there more than ready and willing and able to take up where we leave off. And if we turn our kids over to the world to be educated, whose fault is it? It's our fault. Well, here's the question, and it comes up every place I go. I cannot remember ever going somewhere where somebody asked me this question, and I've been asked it since I've been here. Hey, Tommy, what happened to the dinosaurs? And people are totally amazed because I've got an answer. You know what happened to the dinosaurs? They died. (laughs) What happened to the dodo bird? It It died. What almost happened to the American bald eagle? It almost died. It's only endangered species. As I understand, it's off now. And, I, and I'm offering endangered species. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm offering. But you know, we all have a problem. We live in a fallen, cursed world. Sometimes creatures lose the ability to continue to survive. You can go to the internet and just type in, you know, animal extinction or something. And you'll get these lists of creatures that, you know, as far as the scientists understand, over the last 10 years or 25 years or 50 years have gone extinct. And it is rare that there's one single specific reason. Usually it's multiple reasons. When I was at the Natural History Museum in London a couple of years ago, they had a big exhibit about the dodo bird why it went extinct. And they had like four or five different signs explaining all the different changes in the environment, man encroaching, all the different issues that came up that caused the dodo to go extinct. But... There's a particular fascination about this question as it applies to the dinosaurs because the world thinks, you know, the secular world says dinosaurs are our own private province. They're, they're icons of evolution. They're proof of evolution. So when they talk to us, they say, well, you believe in the Bible? Well, what happened to the dinosaurs? Well, the thing is, I think it's, it's realistic that we, that we have an answer to that. But as I was thinking about this when I was first putting this presentation together in the past, I thought, well, wait a minute. If they're so insistent on us giving an answer, what are some of the answers that the secular world's given over the last few decades? So what I did, I went to several of the colleges and universities near the, where I live and went to the libraries and found old textbooks and things. And I looked up lots of secular answers to this question. Now, I'm going to go through this list really quickly. Now, I want you to understand that a lot of these answers are no longer felt to be Valid. But over the last couple of decades, if you ask a secular scientist what happened to the dinosaurs, you could have got any one or a number of these. So again, I'm going to go through these really quickly just to kind of give you secular answers to the question, what happened to the dinosaurs? Well, the dinosaurs went extinct because their brains were too small. The picture's pretty bleak, gentlemen. The world's climates are changing, the mammals are taking over, and we all have a brain about the size of a walnut. They roamed the earth for a hundred million years and they went extinct because they were stupid. They were outcompeted by mammals. Mammals roamed the earth for millions of years. And during that time, the, I mean, the dinosaurs roamed the earth for millions of years. And during that time, the mammals evolved. And they were smarter and faster. And they just outcompeted the dinosaurs. They went extinct because other animals ate their eggs. Yes, the other animals got together and said, well, they're a problem if they grow up. Let's eat them while they're young. <laughs> they died of cosmic rays from a supernova. Star explodes. Radiation comes to earth, kills the dinosaurs course white didn't kill everything else well that's kind of a problem but let's move on here's one of my favorites they died because of a change in the earth's magnetic field and that one makes particular sense to me because dinosaurs are obviously magnetic <laughs> they died because of indigestion and constipation 65 million years before old the dinosaurs are killed off by a massive plague of indigestion simply put they had gas. <laughs> the way this works, there was a climate change. When the climate changed, the dinosaurs' preferred food sources were no longer available. So they had to eat things they weren't used to eating. The new food gave them a tummy ache, and they died of gas. <laughs> they died of communicable disease. Now, we do have evidence of infectious disease processes. You know, you can see in the fo- in fossil record we do have evidence of that. But there's no evidence of a worldwide disease process that would have eradicated the dinosaurs. So this one, frankly, was never that popular an idea. Here's one that actually is, though. They died of hay fever. During the time the dinosaurs were on the earth, certain types of flowering plants evolved, and those plants gave off pollen that was toxic to the dinosaur, and they died of asthma and hay fever. There's actually a sign at the Natural History Museum in London in the dinosaur area that said they may have died of hay fever, which I found just totally hysterical. This next one is very frightening to me. Uh, It may be the most frightening of all the possibilities, because as I've told you before, I have a wife and three daughters. Some have suggested they died out because they were overrun by females. We know in laboratory settings when you're incubating reptile eggs, if you control the temperature in just a certain way, you can control the sex of the offspring. Now, don't hold me this absolutely, but I, I, I'm trying to remember the study I read a couple of years ago. I got my file at the office. So don't hold me this absolutely, but it seems like the last time I read a study about this, they were doing some experiment with, with crocodile eggs, and they were incubating them, and the lower temperatures gave all males, and the higher temperatures gave all females. Now, I know there's a joke in there somewhere. I've just got to find it. And, and, and in between those two extremes, you've got a mixture. So the way this works, there was a climate change, and the temperature was such that when the dinosaurs laid their eggs, they all came out to be the same sex, they couldn't to reproduce. Well, if you can't find another reason, let's just blame it on them. They caused their own extinction. They died out because they got too big. You know, they evolved. They got bigger and bigger and bigger. Finally, they got so big, they couldn't forage or compete for resources. They were so big, they couldn't evade predators. They just got so big, they were targets in their own environment. And I guess maybe at some level, you could make a case for the sauropods, you know, the diplodocus, something like that. But, you know, some dinosaurs fully grown were only the size of chickens. The average size, if you take all the different varieties of dinosaurs we know about, The average size of a dinosaur is about the size of a sheep. So the thing is, dinosaurs weren't that big, so this doesn't make that much sense. Some said they died out because all the plant eaters got eaten. You know, the meat eaters ate the plant eaters, and and they ate them, and they ate them, and they ate them, and they ate them, and then finally, what happened to the plant eaters? They were all gone. So what happened to the meat eaters? They starved. They ate themselves out of house and home. But that's not the big one. Let's get to it. The meteor. The meteor that caused the extinction... Of the dinosaurs, 65 million years ago. National Geographic talks about this like they got it on videotape. It's just amazing. See, meteor hits the earth, puts a lot of dust in the air, the dust and it kills the dinosaurs. Now, I'm not disputing that our earth has been hit by meteors. We've got evidence of that. But why this is popular in certain circles is a lot of these layers, the sedimentary rock layers where you find dinosaur fossils, you find a high concentration of a substance called iridium. Iridium is found in high concentration in meteor. So the meteor hits, puts the iridium in the air, the iridium sells out where the dinosaurs died. Now, one of many problems with this, you know, and one of the basic ones, comes down to this. You've got the iridium where the dinosaur, you know, the, the layers where the dinosaurs are. Where did the sediment come from? I mean, you've got to have a lot of sediment to bury a T-Rex, right? It's not a field mouse; It's a T-Rex. It's a huge thing. So even if you've got the iridium, you've got to explain the sediment. As it turns out, there's another source of iridium. And that source of iridium is volcanic activity. Can anybody tell me of an event in history associated with a certain degree of volcanic activity? Uh, earlier now, how about the flood of Noah's day the great fountains of the deep breaking up the worst cataclysm the world's ever seen sedimentation on a global cataclysmic catastrophic scale you're going to have a lot of magma coming to the surface guess what I can explain not only the iridium I can explain the vast amounts of sediment required to bury these creatures rapidly all I need to do is read the history and the word of God or uh, they said well, maybe the dinosaurs died out because of a changing climate of the earth and again can you think of an event in history that would be associated with the changing climate of the earth <laughs> how about the flood but, see, the flood could not have caused the extinction of the dinosaurs. Why not? To a very kind of dinosaur on the ark. They got off the ark to, what, the same world they left or a different world? The world had been totally changed. Different topography, different food sources, different weather patterns. would we have been hunting pressures. All sorts of different... Everything had changed. Dinosaurs got off the ark. They started reproducing. As far as we know, the dinosaurs are now gone. We do, again, have evidence that dinosaurs walked the earth with man up until at least the last few hundred years. So, Tommy, what happened to them? They died changing in ecosystem, encroachment by man, weather, I mean, uh, environmental changes, predator pressures, hunting pressures, any number of things, all leading to the fact that the dinosaurs, as far as we know today, are no longer with us, just like any number of other creatures that have gone extinct in our own lifetime. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you, with meekness and fear. And, folks, there's one place we need to have answers. We better have answers. We have to have answers for our children and our grandchildren. It's about dinosaurs because if we don't, the world's going to do it for us. Go to our website, www.answersandgenesis.org. Just type in the word dinosaur, or T-Rex. We've got lots of articles about dinosaurs. We deal with dinosaurs in our Answers book series. Uh, the book Dinosaurs for Kids is specifically uh, just a, it's just a, it's a it really It says for kids, but it's for all ages. It's a great book about dinosaurs. A lot of introductory answers. Parents and grandparents, you need this book as much as your kids do. Uh, Dragons, Legends, and Lore of Dinosaurs is about dragon legends. And our kids' DVD, Dinosaurs, Genesis, and the Gospel. And... With that, I'll turn it back over to the boss.
0: You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.